Welcome to McGonigal's Chronicles, Making Montana Connections. I'm Tim McGonigal. Nick McCarville has always had a knack for telling stories, and that skill has enabled him to reach the pinnacle of sports journalism. The Helena native is a digital producer and reporter for the Olympics. This summer, he's telling inspirational and emotional stories of the athletes at the Tokyo Games. He grew up in an athletic capital city family, and during his sophomore year at Helena Capital, he was bitten by the writing bug. For much of his career, he's covered the professional tennis tour, following some of the sport's biggest names, Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, and Serena Williams. Recently, I had a chance to talk to him about growing up in Big Sky Country and how, even though he now resides in New York City, his heart has never strayed far from Montana. Here's our conversation with Nick McCarville. Again, thank you for taking time out. Uh, I know it's uh, getting to be a busy and exciting time for you with the Olympics coming up. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But uh, your Instagram profile, I was doing a little research on you. It says that you are a digital content producer for the Olympics. So what, what exactly, for those of us that might not know, uh, is a digital content producer? <laughs> well, Tim, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I, I have been working now with the Olympics for the last year, and it's been a really great adventure for me to go from doing a lot of the freelance work that I do separately in sports into working with the Olympics full time. So I'm on our digital content team, which means social media, olympics.com, anything to do with Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, all that kind of stuff. Our goal, our want is to tell Olympic stories year round. And obviously the Olympics are this summer in Tokyo. We have the winter Olympics next uh, February in Beijing. And so we want people to know as much as they can about these awesome Olympians who are going to compete in those two games. Yeah. And on a personal level, that's got to be exciting for you to, uh, to go to some great cities like that, uh, Tokyo, Beijing. Uh, but also, like you said, to meet some, uh, some of these fantastic Olympians, uh, because that's one of the great things about the Olympics is the stories that, uh, that we see. And uh, maybe, you know, we see the, the big stories about the gold medal performances and stuff. But some of these people have some great backstories, too. Well, they have incredible stories. I mean, you know, I, I think you and I are maybe somewhat similar in the sense that we like telling stories. And so for me being within the Olympic movement, getting to work with the athletes that I do, you know, for a long time, I was working almost exclusively in tennis. And those athletes make great money, a lot of them in the top 100 in the world. And so for on the Olympic side, the money sometimes isn't as easy to come by. And so to hear these stories, the struggle, the things that the athletes have sacrificed, especially within the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, that's really been inspiring to me. And just actually in the recent past, they announced the IOC refugee Olympic team, which was really cool to see uh, refugees from around the world who are having the opportunity to represent with the IOC, with the Olympic flag um, and go and compete in Tokyo, which is the second time that they've done that. So those are the kind of stories, Tim, that I, I really appreciate and I love working with the athletes and getting to help tell those stories. All right. Well, uh, a lot of people might not know, but you are a, a Montana guy, obviously, but uh, from Helena. Uh, talk about growing up in Helena, some of the early influences and just, uh, just life in general for you growing up in uh, that great city. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my dad's a Butte kid, uh, Butte Anaconda boy, um, and my mom grew up on the Highline in Glasgow. Her, her family were ranchers, the Etchart family. Um, I'm one of six kids, so we were uh, born and raised in Helena. My dad worked at Carroll for, for years and years, um, was one of the co-founders of Burton Ernie's Restaurant, which I think a lot of people will know in Great Falls or Helena or Billings. Um, and we were a sports family, Tim. So I, I was a tennis kid. Um, I also played track, 
uh, soccer, basketball when I was really young, but tennis ended up being kind of my sport. And, you know, I was the youngest of three boys and the fifth of six kids. So for us, it was like, get us out the door, get us outside, uh, play YMCA soccer on the weekends, um, ski trips. We went up to Great Divide, to Discovery, to Big Sky. Um, we weren't really like a hiking, fishing, camping sort of family. It was all about my parents, I think, getting us as tired as possible um, before going to bed. But I, I just, I'm so thankful for the, the community that I come from. I, I spent five months in Montana last year in the midst of the pandemic when I, when the sports industry really kind of stopped. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was able to kind of revisit a lot of those memories. And um, there, there's no better place, in my opinion, than Montana. Yeah, that's uh, hard to dispute that. Uh, growing up in Helena, the early influences, I'm sure, and with a big family was uh, probably the family, the mom and dad, brothers, sisters. Uh, uh, but who were some of the other influences that uh, had an impact in your life from, from Helena, from Montana, especially when it comes to tennis and when it comes then to your love for journalism? Yeah, I mean, my, my family was very impactful. And I was the kid when I was in second, third, fourth grade. I had one of those stat books that I was going to all the basketball games and I was watching the Carol Saints and Capitol Bruins and, and anyone. Um, for me in the journalism sphere, Kurt Sinis was always someone that I looked up to at the Independent Record, doing his work for the IR. I think he's done it now for decades, mm-hmm. and I still think he has a hand in that. Um, Gary Turcott is a, a family friend. He was the Carroll basketball coach for years and years, and he's someone who I actually, he got into tennis when I was in high school, so I would go and play tennis with Gary Turcott, which was a, a fun thing for me to do as an aspiring athlete and you know see this coach who had so much wisdom from the basketball court but bring that to the tennis court which is really cool for me and i always looked up to my older brothers my brother michael uh, and jp actually they both won state championships in soccer and um they were standout athletes and, and just standout people so just seeing the athletic excellence in helena and in montana and you know sometimes we're a small state or small fry but seeing the hard work and the dedication that people put into things in those communities uh, that that i think taught me the kind of work ethic that i wanted to have to do the kind of work that i do now all right as as you went through uh, you, you went, graduated from capital high school 2004 but uh, when you graduated capital and um, did were thinking about going to college uh, was journalism always uh, in the plan for you yeah, strangely enough, it was. I mean, I probably realized uh, by like, I, maybe I was a freshman or sophomore in high school, Tim, and I was like, okay, I'm not gonna, <laughs> I'm not gonna be a professional athlete. And so, <laughs> I we had the newspaper every morning, the IR, and I, you know, I, I read all the stories and read the Associated Press writers, and just for whatever reason, it just felt like that was kind of my path. And I originally wanted to be a writer, and that's obviously stayed with me through a lot of the work that I do now with. The Olympics and in the tennis work that I've done, but um, pretty much from the time I was a sophomore in high school, I was like, okay, well, I want to be in sports and I want to be in journalism. Um, and it probably took me another 10 years after that to make that actually come true. Mm-hmm. But um, those were the kind of the, the two worlds that I wanted to put together. And I'll, I'll never forget a, a couple of years ago, I, I went to college in Seattle and a couple of years ago, I went back and gave a talk at Seattle U. And one of my professors 
introduced me and she just said basically that she thought I was crazy when I came to CLU <laughs> because I wanted to work in tennis as a journalist. And I think it was maybe that single-mindedness that helped me achieve what I wanted. All right. Well, uh, and I, I understand you've been in New York for some time. Um, talk about the transition from Montana to New York. That's got to be a bit of a culture shock. But you did have Seattle in between there, too, I guess. So yeah, exactly. So help with the transition. <laughs> the Seattle buffered it a little bit, right? <laughs> yeah. Four years in Seattle, I lived on Capitol Hill um, at Seattle U, which is a, a great Jesuit college. I loved going to Seattle U. I wanted to go small school mm -hmm. in a big city, and it was just the perfect place for me. I, I have Seattle is in my heart in a way that Montana is too. And for me, it was just about coming to New York and, and being in the media market. So this is, this is the place where obviously people know you've got the morning TV shows and all the big sports organizations. And so I had a group of friends, actually a few friends from Helena and a couple of friends from Missoula too, who were already making their way to New York. And it felt like we could have this kind of Montana cluster, this group of friends um, in, in New York that I had known since I was a kid. And, um, you know, New York City, once you get here and once you make it your home, it's not necessarily the place I think that sometimes we see on the movies or in the news. You know, I, I live uptown. I live a block from Central Park. It's quiet. I've, I've got an, a, a nice brick wall. It's very <laughs> traditional <laughs> New York, but it, it's, um, it's a place still that has community and, and is full of people from all over the world, which is another reason why I, I love being here, too. All right. Well, uh, you, you have been covering tennis uh, for uh, much of your professional life. Uh, talk about uh, maybe some of the memorable tennis coverage, what stands out for you, or even uh, start with that, I guess. What uh, some of the things that you've seen, and because tennis is... It's an amazing sport. Uh, there's always something new or someone rising that uh, that we see. Yeah, I, yeah. So I did my first ten big tennis event in 2009 at the U.S. Open. Um, I covered it for the New York Times as a blogger, and um, really from there I slowly gained more traction in the journalism world in tennis. But I've worked all the Grand Slams, so I've done Melbourne, Paris, London, New York. And then for about five years, I was near full-time on the tennis tour. So Palm Springs, Miami, I would go to Europe, I would go to Asia each fall. So a lot of air miles, a lot of time spent on planes, but um, just a chance really to see these people as, as people, see these athletes and what they're able to do on court is incredible as competitors, as um yeah, just real people who are achieving such incredible things and then be able to try to understand how they make that happen. You know, talking to Serena Williams after a tennis match and understanding that she has the same or similar self-doubts that maybe you and I do, or Roger Federer or Rafael Nadal. Um, you know, I, I, really, I really appreciated the opportunity to start to get to know uh, these athletes in different ways other than how we see them on TV and you know self-doubt and a bad day at the office frustrations um it, it they are human and so to be able to tell those stories and interact with them in that way um i think probably a, a big standout memories in 2017 i was hosting a twitter we had a twitter streaming show at the australian open and i was a co-host mm -hmm. um for the australian open itself and i interviewed serena on the night she beat venus in the women's final 
And that was later revealed to be when she was pregnant and expecting her, her daughter Olympia. And then the next night I interviewed Roger Federer when he beat Rafael Nadal. So that probably for me in a 24, 28 hour span, Tim, that was probably um, a, a peak in my career. And I, I've been downhill since then, but <laughs> those kind of interactions and, you know, the, the sweaty palms and just kind of the red light comes on the camera and, and you get to then you want to, obviously, I think, you know, you want to give the best right. for the athletes or for the person you're interviewing. But then also I just have that true sort of like little kid sense of, uh, you know, uh, this is awesome. This is really cool. Uh, and I want the audience to feel that at home as well. All right. We're talking with Nick McCarville, uh, Helena of Helena, but uh, now living in New York, uh, working as a digital content producer for the Olympics, but uh, also has covered some major tennis events. And uh, of all the venues you've covered, uh, does what's your favorite? Is it Wimbledon, Roland Garros, the U.S. Open, the, Fran or the Australian Open? Or maybe there's another have one. You, have you been to any of the tennis venues? I have. Uh, I've been to the uh, Civic Center uh, in Helena, and I've been yeah. to the uh, Meadowlark Country Club in Great Falls, and that's about the extent of my tennis uh, venue uh, hopping. But uh, hey, I, I know both of those <laughs> yeah. venues very well. Let me tell you, <laughs> especially Meadowlark, where I played plenty of windy Great Falls there uh, tennis matches. Um, no, I, I just there's nothing that beats Wimbledon. It, right. it is. In the truest sense, it, it is, um, you know, this this uh, cathedral of tennis center court is. And they've also modernized Wimbledon. They've done such a great job of bringing it into the 21st century, but also keeping the tradition, the all white, the, the beautiful lawns. Sure. Uh, there's the smell of the grass. It just it it, um, it just exudes this sort of class that uh, other tennis venues, even though they're beautiful, they're great. They can't quite. Um, and then, you know, my parents come down and I think actually a lot of Montanans come down every year to Indian Wells, which is the Palm Springs event. And that's every March. This year they've moved it to October after they delayed it in the pandemic. But mm -hmm. it's set in the Coachella Valley and they've done a wonderful job of modernizing those grounds. And it's kind of the, the West Coast U.S. Open. And they've, they've done a terrific job with that venue. So I love going there every year, too. I always get a kick out of watching Wimbledon because uh, you know it's a it's a sporting event, but uh, for the for the fans as we watch on TV, they are so. Uh, I mean, they're dressed like like we may be dressed going to church or to a, a yeah. formal event, and that, and yeah. that's the way, it's just the way they they do it there, I guess, huh? It, it just has that gravitas mm -hmm. that maybe you know the Masters would have it in golf, and maybe you don't feel that quite in modern sports. Still, Wimbledon has that still for sure. Yeah. So uh, one of the big headlines in the tennis world lately is Naomi Osaka. Uh, she recently made headlines for refusing to participate in the media conferences. Uh, as, as a sports journalist, what are your thoughts on, on that? Yeah, you know, that was a situation that I followed really closely. You know, I've, I've interviewed Naomi many times, and she is, a, she is a consummate professional, and she's also a real human being. And I, I think that she showed it in this process. She kind of showed in a different way to the greater public the kind of struggle that athletes can go through. And I think that that's been a conversation that's kind of slowly made its way into the sporting realm. As I've been a professional, you look at Michael Phelps has really led that charge in a lot of ways here in the States with the Olympic movement about mental health. And, you know, I think the Osaka situation was a tough one. You know, she, she maybe made a misstep in her initial statement as how she was communicating. 
And then the tennis officials maybe came down a little bit hard on her and said that she could essentially be disqualified from the tournament if she continued to not do press. But I think in, in a greater sense, it took on a life of its own in a way to show people that these athletes are under a lot of pressure. And, you know, for me as a journalist, I was kind of like, oh, wait, I, I feel like we treat her pretty well in the press room. But I don't know what it is to go on center court and have the pressure and the TV lights and the sponsorship deals and all of that stuff. You know, every day each of us wake up with different things on our plate and different things on our shoulders. And so I, I hope that she was able to shine a little bit of light of the pressure that these athletes are, are facing when they step out on the court and the uh, obligations that they have otherwise. But, you know, I know Naomi really well. I hope that it's a time in her life as a person. That's what we always have to come back to these athlete or athletes and people. Mm -hmm. I hope that she's able to, as a person, figure out what works best for her and that we're able to see her play tremendous tennis. Because really right now, Tim, she is the best female tennis player right now in the world. Yeah, uh, she's the best right now. Uh, and I was going to ask you, uh, who are some up and comers in the tennis world that uh, I mean, we hear about Serena Williams, Venus Williams, Naomi Osaka. And on the men's side, of course, there's Federer, there's Nadal, there's Djokovic. But uh, you cover tennis, follow tennis. Are there any, uh, especially American players that uh, are, are on the uh, on the rise in the tennis world? Absolutely. There's Coco Goff, who is a 16-year-old. Um, I think actually she just turned 17. She just made the French Open quarterfinals. Um, and she is a tremendous player. She is athletic. She beat Venus at Wimbledon a couple of years ago. She had a great match. She actually beat Naomi Osaka at the Australian Open in 2019. Um, Coco is someone that we've known about for a few years in tennis, but just at 17, she's got a, a huge future in front of her. And she actually slipped in to make the U.S. Olympic team for the women's side. So that's huge for her. And I think maybe some people remember Coco Mania from Wimbledon <laughs> a couple years ago when she did beat Venus. There's also a young man named Sebastian Corda, who is the son of Peter Corda. He's a former Grand Slam champion in men's tennis. He played for Russia. Well, Sebastian plays for the U.S. He's grown up in the States and he's had a really great start to 2021. He's kind of been another young player that's up and coming as a teenager. And his sisters, Nellie and Jessica, are both top LPGA women's golf players. So the Corda family is a family that we've been watching and thinking, are, are these athletes gonna kind of get to the height of, and their mom, I think, was a professional athlete too. So Sebastian Corda, for sure, um, Coco Goff. And then I, I just wanna say there's a young, a uh, Greek tennis player named uh, Stefanos Tsitsipas, and he's been really thrilling to watch. He's been a great story for men's tennis because they haven't really had a standout Greek player um, in the game for a long time. All right. Well, getting back to the Olympics now, this, of course, isn't your first Olympics. Uh, what, what are some of the memories that you have uh, of previous Olympics that you've, you've covered? Yeah, this will be, uh, I guess, my fifth Olympics. I actually won't be in Tokyo. Um, we, you know, from... The pandemic and the different restrictions that they're they're putting up um i i was initially meant to go and I, i'm not going i think that that's the right decision for my role so i'll cover it from new york um in a very covid way um but i did sochi i did rio and i did pyeongchang in south korea all on site and there's really nothing like it i you know the olympic spirit and uh just being on the ground and seeing people from all over the world and the representation that you usually see we won't see it in tokyo there's no international fans but 
Um, I, you know, going to Sochi and covering the figure skating, I covered gymnastics and tennis mostly. I did some swimming and diving as well in Rio. And then I was back on the figure skating beat in Pyeongchang in South Korea. Um, you know, getting to interview Olympic legends and being there in the moment. And again, seeing, seeing these people realize their dreams and sometimes dreams being shattered. Um, it's a very human experience, I think. And um, I will say Pyeongchang, where we did the figure skating, probably the coldest place I've ever been. And mm -hmm. I'm from, you know, I grew up in the Rockies. <laughs> there you go. It was freezing. So I was lucky that I was at the figure skating venue, which was obviously indoors. All right. Well, uh, talking about the uh, COVID, uh, it uh, postponed the games, moved them a, a year back, I guess. Uh, I know that was tough for the athletes. How, how was it for you and for the other uh, people that covered the games that had to be kind of a devastating feeling. Yeah. I mean, it, it was a lot of this, it was a lot of zoom <laughs> and um, interviews over, you know, video calls. And um, I think sport kind of had to gear shift as to how, how we were going to cover athletes and events. I also think it gave us the opportunity to speak about mental health in a lot of ways that we hadn't previously. And I also think, that it gave us the chance to see a different side of athletes. Where, where do you live? You know, what's your living room? Where do you train? How do you turn your garage into your weight room? Um, you know, the, the challenge I think everyone's faced with, with COVID and the different challenges that people have had, whether you're a, a teacher or a parent or all of the above, you know, that has applied to athletes and it's impacted the work that we do as well and just trying to tell those stories in different ways and seeing athletes literally turn their houses into to where they train. I thought that was just another way to showcase. And, you know, we really talked a lot at the Olympics about hashtag stronger together, being stronger together. And I think that the pandemic really showed that athletes are, are people that can recalibrate and whatever you whatever situation you throw at them they're going to figure out how to be stronger and when they do it together it's it's going to be that much better yeah well the olympics are such a uh i think they come come around this year uh, it, assuming they they go off uh, like like we're hoping they will um they come at a great time because you know we've seen a lot of division in in the country and you know we we watch the the athletes and we see these new names come up and these great performances and you know that bring tears to our eyes and in, in many cases but it seems like that brings americans together and makes us all proud and uh, it's got to be fun to cover that uh, for from your perspective it's why I, it's why i do what i do mm -hmm. I, you know I, I think that the power of sport and being able to see athletes rise to the occasion and also Sometimes I feel like I'm a broken record, but, you know, really being able to tell the story of who these people are. Oftentimes in our society, we put achievement here, right? And achievement is great. When you achieve something, it feels good. But to, to work hard for something and to put out your best and be okay with your best being your best, that's where I think the storytelling is, is the most fun for us because we get to show you someone who's overcome you know struggles has lost a family member has had terrible injuries has been through surgery has you know didn't have the financial support as a kid and they made it work for themselves and sometimes that means a gold medal 
Sometimes that means seventh place. I just did a story on an Australian diver who has a silver medal, and then she also has a fourth place and a fifth place at the Olympics. And she says, I'm really proud of my silver medal, but I actually thought I dove better when I took fourth place. <laughs> so, you know, it, it, was, it was the field that she was up against. And she said, of course, uh, I will cherish my silver medal forever, but I'm more going to cherish how I worked through those different situations and how I was able to succeed internally. And I think that those are the kind of stories and the kind of inspirations that I hope that the Olympics brings no matter where you are in the country, no matter what your beliefs are, what have you, that you can feel like you're taking some inspiration and you can relate to these athletes because they are just like us, except they're pretty, pretty superhuman um, competitors too. All right. Well, Nick, how can people follow you and uh, follow some of your stories from, uh, from the Olympics and uh, as, as we get closer and, and during the games? Sure. I mean, across social media, we're olympics.com and, and at olympics on all social media. And then I'm just at Nick McCarville, uh, mostly on Twitter. There's a lot of there's a lot of tennis and a lot of Olympics on my Twitter. And then my Instagram is the same at Nick McCarville. All right. Well, we will look forward to continue to follow your career. And we thank you for taking time. And uh, I know Montana is very proud of uh, what you've achieved, uh, both as uh, covering tennis and now the Olympics. And uh, we thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for your time. You've been listening to a conversation with Nick McCarville, a digital producer and reporter with the Olympics. You can follow him on social media and watch his stories on Olympics.com. Next time on McGonagall's Chronicles, Making Montana Connections, we talk with Montana author Paul Wiley. He continues to take readers on a historical literary journey with some of the Treasure State's most memorable figures and moments. And you can always subscribe to McGonagall's Chronicles, Making Montana Connections podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. And don't forget to follow the podcast on social media. Send us your ideas and feedback on Facebook and Twitter. Simply search for McGonagall's Chronicles. For McGonagall's Chronicles, Making Montana Connections, I'm Tim McGonagall.